Just wanted to let you know, uh, for those of you who are friends of Tom and Kathy Harrison, Kathy's father passed away on Friday. That, that's a big loss. They just lost their mom a few months ago and uh, now her dad. And uh, we're going to pray for them. We're going to pray for the folks that have been impacted in several different states by the tornado that has just wreaked such damage. Uh, it's a hard time for many, many families in our country. Father God, thank you for the fact that we can call on you. The whole Christmas season tells us that you are a God who does not just stay in the heavens, but you have entered this realm. You have demonstrated that you care about human beings and human life, and that you are a God who at the right time, a time that only you fully understand, you enter into this world and you display your power and the hope that comes to those who trust in you. We pray for the Harrison family that you'd surround them during these challenging days, and this has been quite a challenging year for all of us, but a death of a family member makes that even harder. We pray that you'd give them strength and, and hope as they figure out all the plans that are coming. We also ask that you would be at work and you would console in ways that we can't even fully imagine or have, find the words to call upon you. To, to help these families that are struggling in, in uh, Kentucky and Missouri and Arkansas and Illinois and all the different places where these tornadoes have touched down. Lord, I pray that you would rally the church, among others, to step in and to help and uh, to provide solutions. We realize that we live in a difficult world, and Jesus told us that in this world we will have trouble, but you have overcome the world. And so, Lord, we put our faith in you. In this great Christmas season, we ask that you would allow us to find many, many reasons for hope, but our hope ultimately is anchored in your word and in your truth and in your faithfulness to your promises. There are promises that you have yet made about the future that we await. We long one day to find our home in heaven and to be in your presence. We long for the return of Jesus to set this world right and to set up your kingdom when heaven and earth become joined at some point. And Lord, we ask that you would keep us faithful until that time, and that you would keep drawing in more and more people who find their identity as your adopted children. Thank you that Christmas is not just about some great event in the past, but it's about how the reality of Jesus coming into this world and into this life offers hope and change and transformation for us. So Lord, we continue to worship you this morning, and we look into your word with awe over what you have done, and with faith toward what will yet come. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Our text this morning is from Luke chapter 1. Ashley talked about uh, Mary and her thoughts in setting up one of our worship songs this morning, and we're going to be looking at uh, Mary from Luke 1, 26 to 38. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. 
The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come on you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age, and she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. This plan had trouble written all over it right from the start. Many years earlier, the world's greatest strategic planner had launched the opening stage of his grand plan with a young man and a young woman who were given an all-expenses-paid, unlimited stay at the world's most exotic garden resort, complete with the world's best resources, if they would meet one condition. There was one specific kind of fruit from one specific tree that they were forbidden to eat, while everything else was provided for their pleasure. Organic food... Nothing processed, exotic animals, the world's best garden, perfect weather, year-round tanning, and divine blessings. This all worked fine until they came down with a case of entitlement. Not content with the world's best resources, they fixed their eyes on that one exotic fruit from the one forbidden source. They had to have it. Entitlement gave way to license and license to open rebellion. All of a sudden, the unlimited stay was revoked. The young couple and their children were cast into a darker, more difficult, and dangerous environment marked by daily doses of discord and disorder with occasional glimpses of grace. Now, many years later, the strategic planner was at work again, launching the most critical phase of the plan. A messenger was sent to another young man and another young woman. Single, unmarried, inexperienced at raising children. These were the people the Lord God, the strategic planner, chose as his key personnel for putting this plan in motion. Quiet, hardworking, unknown, full of faith, they had all of the qualities God desired, and he entrusted his one-of-a-kind son to them. And with Mary's verbal response, God's redemptive plan swung into motion. This morning, as we move closer to Christmas, we are going to focus for a few minutes on Mary, the mother of Jesus. I realize that Luke began his gospel with the account of Zechariah and Elizabeth, the parents of John the Baptist. But as these gospel accounts unfold, there is a powerful sense that everything hangs on Mary's response. And so that is our focus. Here's our connecting point, our our big idea for this morning. In every season of life, great changes are possible when the Lord takes us from troubled to trusting. We often find ourselves troubled over events of the world, troubled over God's plan as it unfolds, and how much we don't yet understand. But He is always trying to move us from troubled to trusting knowing more and more that his promises have come true, which give us reason to have faith and hope for the future. Today our message is the second part of our Christmas on the Margin series. 
This gives us a fresh look at people who were in and around the original Christmas scenes. And so the people of this series were all in danger of spending the very first Christmas on the margins. Yet consistent with the whole purpose of bringing Jesus into the world, we're going to see how God keeps moving unlikely people from the margins to the middle of the mission. And that includes us too. That's his goal for all of us to move us from those points when we seemed far away and didn't understand God or, or how it is that we get into the heart of what he's doing. But he move, wants to move us into the middle of his mission where we are the ones who are responding in the way that Mary does. So Merry Christmas. Welcome to North River Church. I am glad that we can gather and build our excitement from week to week about Christmas together. Welcome to all of you who are watching online, watching from home, wherever you may find yourself. Thank you for joining us today. Let me encourage you to continue on week by week and and to probe these questions with us and to allow the wonder of Christmas to fill your heart and your mind. The question that I have today that's in the backdrop of this message is what moved Mary from her troubled state when the angel gives her this grand announcement to trusting the Lord God? And so we have four lessons from Mary. Here's the first one. We can have the Lord's favor in this life and still be troubled. That may sound surprising to you, but we can have the Lord's favor and still be troubled. Verse 28 says, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And look at the very next verse. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. What an odd pairing of sentences. Luke specifically tells us that the angel Gabriel delivered this message to Mary. Gabriel, who ministered in the presence of the Lord, who explains God's visions to his people, Gabriel had appeared to Daniel in the Old Testament days and then to Zechariah in Luke chapter 1. And now Gabriel tells Mary that she is highly favored and the Lord is with her. Luke pairs this with the observation that Mary was greatly troubled at his words. Why would Mary be troubled? Well, there might be a whole lot of reasons why Mary was troubled. First century Judea, under the domination of the Roman Empire, was a troubling place. And visits from angels in gleaming white linen were troubling experiences. They were not at all like they're depicted in Hollywood movies. Angels in the outfield that always seem safe. Rabbinic theology teaches that the name Gabriel means clothed in white linen. So that, that when these angels appeared, the brilliance of their appearance was overwhelming. Bearing the Savior of the world was a troubling assignment. Agreeing to bear God's child without knowing that Joseph was on board was a troubling relational complication. That the angel had not explained how all of this would really come together and work from a physical dynamic was a troubling realization. Mary should have been troubled. I think it is this statement that makes Mary seem real to me, maybe to all of us. She should have been troubled about this visit and this assignment. She should have been troubled as she wondered about what this greeting from Gabriel meant. She should have been troubled over bringing God's Son into such a dangerous world as a tiny little newborn infant. She should have been troubled about all the complications that would fall on her. Knowing that she was troubled, 
strips away all of the halos from the paintings in the Louvre, knowing that she was troubled, humanizes Mary in an appropriate way in our evaluation. You see, we can have the Lord's favor and still be troubled in this world. This observation goes against the way that we most often think of experiencing God's favor. We tend to think that if, it, if God is with us, then all of life will be smooth and all of life will be easy. That life will be absent pain, hardship, or stress. In fact, Christians like us often assume wrongly that something is wrong with you spiritually if you are experiencing hard times or are deeply troubled over the events of life. I would like to submit to you a principle which runs contrary to that line of thinking. When you stand in the Lord's favor, you are likely to be troubled. Can I say that again? When you are specifically standing in the Lord's favor, you are very likely to be troubled at some point. Does that strike you as odd? It may. Think of Gideon. When an angel appeared saying, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Gideon had never faced battle in his entire life, had never led an army. It's almost as if he looks over his shoulder and says, who are you, who are you looking at? Me? Think of Moses. He meets God at the burning bush and God says, Moses, take off your sandals and then explains he's going to send him to Egypt, to the Pharaoh. And Moses effectively says, here am I, send Aaron, my brother. Most often, when we experience God's favor, He has another assignment on hand. It's like that saying from the military, the reward for a job well done is the next assignment. And the Lord wants people that He can trust in troubling times. We can have the Lord's favor and still be troubled in this life. Here's the second lesson from Mary. The good news of Jesus supersedes and overrides our troubles. Go back to verse 29. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. We start this paragraph with the realization that Mary is troubled, but the angel's words lead to a quiet acceptance. What swayed her? What swayed her was the content of the angel's message and specific details about Jesus. Here's the content of the message from the angel. First, this child will have a God-given name, Jesus, which we've already looked at last week. It means Yahweh saves or, or God's salvation. Second, there's the notice that he will be great. And Jesus was great. He was a great teacher. He was a great healer. He was a great discipler. He was a great leader. He was a great savior. Third, he will be called the Son of the Most High. This is her first clue that this child that's going to come will be God's son. Fourth, he says that he will reign on David's throne. This is messianic language that God was fulfilling a promise made hundreds and hundreds of years ago. And fifth, that his kingdom will never end. 
there will be a lasting spiritual impact from his life. And somehow it will connect to what God is doing in the future. And so there are five specific promises that were included in that content. Luke's account causes us to conclude that this good news superseded the trouble ahead in Mary's mind. Mary was willing to embrace this difficult road because she she saw the benefit of so many. Future good news works that way. It has a way of transcending our short-term focus on immediate troubles. That is why Christmas has such power for people in all kinds of situations. It's not just the, the magic of pulling out a tree or exchanging gifts with people. There's something about the constant repetition and reminder that our God has come into this world already, that our God has come into our human race, and that He has considered us worthy in His eyes of such great sacrifice, something we can't even contemplate. We're not worthy in and of ourselves. We're only worthy in His eyes because He deems us to be. And every time we experience another piece of the Christmas traditions, it brings us back into that reality. It reminds us that we have a God who acts, who doesn't just stay up there so far away. And in the right time, in the right way, He makes Himself known. Christmas brings joy to people who have little because of the arrival of God's Son, which offers hope. Christmas brings hope to those who are oppressed because they know that His kingdom is near. Christmas brings peace in the midst of hard times as we find that Jesus has compassion. I know that there will be bitterness and sorrow for many of the people who are suffering from these tornadoes. I don't want to make light of that at all. But watch to see what happens with some of the people who've lost everything but know that they still have Jesus. Watch for the stories that will rise up from the ashes at this time when you see examples of great faith that are going to emerge It's almost predictable when we lose everything that's temporary and we can hold on to the eternal. Hope rises again. So here's the idea that we're chasing. In every season of life, great changes are possible in our lives when the Lord takes us from that position of being troubled to trusting Him more. And He is in the business of doing that. So we've seen that We can have the Lord's favor and still be troubled. The good news of Jesus supersedes our troubles. Here's the third lesson from Mary from this chapter. The good news of Christmas centers on God's power. The good news of Jesus at Christmas specifically centers on God's power. Here's Mary's response, verse 34. How will this be? Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin... The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age and she who is said to be barren is in her sixth month. The older translation of the NIV reads it this way, for nothing is impossible with God. Mary's question reveals so much. She hasn't said no, but at this point she needs more information. She has questions. Her most important question is the one that appears here. How will I bear this Son of God when I'm a virgin? How will this be? I don't get this. She's saying, you're telling me that I'm going to have a child, but isn't something missing here from the equation? The angel, in effect, doesn't explain to her 
in, in a way that satisfies every aspect of the mind. He doesn't explain it scientifically, but he gives her three important pieces of information. First, he reveals the Holy Spirit's role in the incarnation, the body taking, the, the physical life taking of Jesus. This is when we realize that God's plan does not involve Joseph, her fiance, at this level. Second, he then reveals that she is not alone. For Elizabeth, a distant cousin, was carrying John. This was a detail that Mary would be able to check out and confirm. This was a big deal. For Elizabeth was well past her childbearing years and was determined to be barren. This detail also provided a relative who was safe for Mary to run to when no place was safe for her right then. Perhaps Zachariah and Elizabeth would explain this to her parents, she may have wondered. Maybe even to Joseph, who was contemplating ending their engagement, breaking it all off, and going his own way. And finally, the angel offers a third piece of information, a principle to hang on to. Nothing is impossible with God. Nothing. Christmas reminds us that God is able to act in this world when doing so fits his purpose. Christmas reminds us that God patiently plans every step and that he acts with his own sense of timing. The world wasn't anticipating Jesus at that moment. Nobody else was but Mary. Christmas reminds us that possibilities are unlimited for God. And what seems bleak and stark and troubling and frightening is often an opportunity where God can come in and do great things. We can have the Lord's favor and still be troubled. The good news of Jesus supersedes our troubles, overrides it. The, the good news of Jesus at Christmas centers on God's power. And here's, here's a fourth lesson from Mary. The good news takes hold as we move from troubled to trusting. Notice three lines in the story. Verse 34, Mary says, How will this be since I am a virgin? Verse 35, the angel answers... And as the ending point of that answer, in verse 37, he says, for nothing is impossible with God. In verse 38, Mary responds again and says, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. And then the angel left her. I love the sequence of these three statements. First, Mary raises a troubling question. Then the angel answers with this timeless principle that nothing is impossible with God. And then third, Mary responds with this declaration of, of trust. May it be to you, you have said. These are some of the most courageous words ever spoken. All of redemptive history was hanging in, in anticipation on this one response. They are the words of a risk taker based on the words of God's messenger and on a confirming detail that, can sh that she can check out. I believe that's why she was told about her distant cousin Elizabeth who was carrying John the Baptist. She could already find out that there was another who was trusting in God's plan and rejoicing in God's plan and that God was bringing about what had been declared to be impossible. 
So Mary takes on a central role in the gospel as troubled yet trusting. I like that. I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when you start to see life unfold and you don't understand all of how God is going to work out his plan. I've been troubled. But what he wants us to do is to keep trusting. And I know that many of you have been in that same spot. You look at your life and you, you see things turning in a direction that you didn't think they would go or they shouldn't go. And we are troubled in that moment. Sometimes we are troubled enough that we start to doubt God. We say, God, do you know what you're doing? Our prayers kind of get twisted a little bit. God, what are you up to? Are you there? Are you silent? But what he wants us to do is to move from being only troubled toward troubled and trusting. More and more leaning on the trust side. Often that's just where God wants us. Troubled yet trusting. This is where a person who renews his faith or her faith is found. Troubled by all the realities of our world, yet trusting the God who has entered into it. Troubled by our need to repent when we look at our own personal inventory. Troubled by realizing that we cannot save ourselves, yet trusting in the promise of God's grace through faith in Jesus. There are often these troubling moments. I loved years ago hearing the story of Carly Fiorina. She was the former CEO of Hewlett-Packard. She had written a book about leadership lessons that she had learned through the ups and downs of her life. And then she spoke at the leadership summit that we've taken part in here at North River more than 10 years ago. That began a process of her seeking and evaluating her faith in her life as she was coming into contact with more and more outward professed Christians. She had an intellectual understanding of Jesus, but became aware of the fact that something was missing in her life. And the Christmas that came after that year of participating in the Leadership Summit and all of her thinking about God began to coalesce. She spoke to a gathering of pastors that included me a few years ago, and she talked about that morning. She got up early before the rest of her family had gathered. The kids were there and the grandkids and everybody else. All the trees were around the, all the other packages were around the tree. And it was about six o'clock in the morning, and she was sitting in front of the Christmas tree by herself, anticipating what was about to unfold. And she said, Lord, I can't think of a better time than to invite you to come into my life, and I will trust you today. I know that this hasn't been personal. This has only been private and intellectual until now. But come into my life and I will trust you. A whole new way of thinking about life unfolded from that day on from her. Often this is where we find ourselves as parents, troubled yet trusting. One of the wise men in my life once told me, no one gets through parenting without being scarred. Mary was about to discover that principle too. Every parent bears some kind of heartbreak in the process of raising children and setting them free to live the lives that they are given. What better time to renew your trust in the Lord, the Savior, our leader, and our guide? Often this is where we find ourselves when we are young and starting out. What better time to renew your trust in the Lord, the Savior, our leader, and our guide? Often this is where we find ourselves when we are older and reflecting back. 
What better time to renew your trust in the Lord, the Savior, as our leader and our guide than Christmas? In every season of life, great changes are possible when the Lord takes us and moves us from troubled only to trusting. What do we do with this? I have a couple of action steps in mind. The first question is, when's the last time that you, if you're a longtime professed follower of Christ, when is the last time that you renewed your faith commitment to the Lord? There's no better time than this season. Second thought is, how will you demonstrate your renewed faith and trust? Every time you step closer into the community of the church, you move deeper in trust. Every time you whisper, Lord, I'm available today, use me. You move deeper in trust with Him. Every act of giving to the Lord's work is a move deeper in trust that He has your best in mind. Every time you share how the Lord is impacting your life with somebody else who has questions or little faith, you move deeper in trust with the Lord. Let me leave you with this thought in the way that Andy Stanley often says. It's your move. It's your move at Christmas. He moved first. Father God, as we consider what moves you would prompt us toward, whatever is troubling us, trouble in our families, trouble in our world, trouble with our politics, trouble with the creation and the environment around us, trouble at work, we recognize that you want to lead us to that point of trusting that you can guide us through all of these times and that you have a plan that is still unfolding as we walk with you more closely. Thank you for this powerful, wonderful image that we have this morning of Mary upon hearing the angel's announcement. Upon hearing that she has favor with God, yet being troubled and yet handing her life over to you. Give us that kind of faith. Give us that kind of consistency. Give us that kind of open heart. Thank you for Christmas season and all that it brings, even changes in our own lives. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for coming and for worshiping with us. We're almost through, but we've got one last song that we're going to... Uh, to go out of here with, and thanks for worshiping with us. I look forward to all that the next two weeks brings in your life and mine.